Welcome to When Pigs Fly, a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply roast to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we'll be talking with Sarah Strickland. She's the executive director of the Cincinnati Fire Museum downtown here in Cincinnati. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because this is a topic that we have not yet explored. It's, again, the nonprofit world, but how to run and manage and operate a museum, especially post-pandemic. I know. I've this is my first time here. Uh, just so our audience knows, we, picture. Are, we are, you know, recording here in the museum yeah. itself. So it is big. It is lots of historical. Lots to learn. <laughs> artifacts just everywhere. We're actually in a conference room that has the old firemen lockers. Yeah. Of which. All the old fire hats. Yeah. And they're wooden lockers, which like, you know, probably date back to like the 1800s. They kind of like, look like closets to Narnia, but that's cool too. <laughs> we'll it's, call them lockers, right? <laughs> you make such a valid point though. You know, again, we like to, to embark on that historical nugget throughout our segments. And you want to talk about a unique storyline in history that we have in terms of our fire history here in Cincinnati. Mm. First and foremost, we were the very first city to implement a, fi- a paid fire department in the country. I don't know if you knew that, Patrick, but we were also the first fire department to utilize steam engines and horses efficiently. And Miles Greenwood of Cincinnati is the one who created the steam engine. So we have a really, really deep and rich fire history in Cincinnati. And people don't realize that. And the museum as a whole, when you walk through it, you will see artifacts and memorabilia dating back from 1808 to when they used to use drums to to put out the call to fight a fire. That's really cool. And, you know, one of the facts that you told me before we, like, started recording, (laughs) there was a spiral staircase down there. Can you let our audience know the little history behind that? Yeah, so when you enter this fire museum, this was a fully functioning fire department at one point in time. So way back in the day, they used to use horses to get to point A to point B, but because of the fact that this was almost like a barn at one point in time and also why the ceilings are so high. And so the horses wouldn't move around, you know, freely throughout the the station and the building. They actually had to implement a spiral staircase. They had to put in a spiral staircase because of the horses. <laughs> the horses would have wanted to climb up and... They, yeah. <laughs> that, okay, now I know the history of spiral staircases. Yeah, well, specifically <laughs> for this building. So that's a little fun fact. Yeah, and, and you know, like, like we said, Sarah... She's bopped all over from New York to California, back to New York and here, and she's had a a wide range of experience in museums, especially in the fire world. So let's bring her in and kind of pick her brain about how museums work and operate. I'm excited to learn. Let's do it. Sarah, we are actually here at the Fire Museum right now, which is exciting. This is only our second podcast that we've done on location. One was a brewery and now a museum. Mm. Uh, so thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. I'm excited. This is my first time here. Thank you for being here. So before we dive into directing and managing a museum, let's 
kind of give a little overview about the Cincinnati Fire Museum, a little bit of history because we like to bring the history nugget. We don't need to linger too long, but there's really some rich, as you know, you mentioned before, rich fire history in Cincinnati. So it kind of be nice just to hit some of that at the top and then we'll roll into your experience. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. So the Fire Museum is located at 315 West Court Street. We're in a beautiful firehouse. It's, it's, a municipal building that was designed by Harry Hake, who was actually Harry Hake Sr., who was obviously a big designer in Cincinnati. He designed the Cincinnati Bell Building. He designed Crosley Field. So we're in like good company with our uh, designer for sure. We're open right now. We've been open for a while, but as of June 2nd, we're open at full capacity and we can do tours again and we can do birthday parties and we can do events in person. Um, it's very exciting. Very exciting. It's kind of important to be able to be open fully to the, as a museum to the public. Yes, for sure. Especially as a small, I mean, we are a small nonprofit. Yeah. We're a very rich history and we have a lot of important stuff here, but we're a tiny nonprofit. I'm the, uh, I'm the one full-time paid staff member. And then we have a gift shop manager who's here almost full-time, but mm-hmm. um, I'm the only administrative staff. So we're tiny. But yeah, we steward a really important history in Cincinnati. Cincinnati was the first paid professional fire department in the whole country. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. And I actually used to run the FDNY Museum in New York City. And part of our tour was to mention that Cincinnati was the first paid department. It's foreshadowing into your career and you didn't even know it. (laughs) Who knew? knew? It's like, how many fire museums can one run in a lifetime? I bet you. I hope two is the end. But uh, I love my job. So... Yeah, so we have, we not only do we steward a really important history and have some awesome artifacts in our collection, we also teach fire safety education to the community, mm-hmm. which was really hard to do during COVID to serve that part of our mission. But it's a really important part of our mission. This year alone, we've already seen six fatal fires in Cincinnati. Wow. Yeah, why, why, why do you also think that is, not to totally digress a little yeah. bit, but during the pandemic, I've noticed that as well. I mean, I'm certainly not the expert on why, but my uh, intuition tells me people are home more, kids are at home cooking more, kids are home alone more, if kids, you know, like doing school and all the remote learning. Even more of a reason to to, to educate. Yes, which is, uh, it's a super critical need in the community right now. And luckily, now that we can start doing tours again, although we did try to do virtual tours, but I think teachers just didn't pick up on it because it's just been such a crazy year. I mean, they're still, they're learning how to, you know, serve their kids remotely. So a field trip, something super extra and a virtual field trip is like, you know, even more extra. So (laughs) it never really took off. Um, It's not the same too. You need to, you need to be present. Well, the fun part about our tours is firefighters, active duty firefighters, volunteer on their off days to lead our tours. Oh, that's really So cool. I can talk about the museum until I'm blue in the face, and I love doing that. But to have a firefighter mm-hmm. who can say, this is the equipment that we used in the 1800s, now I use this. Like, <laughs> it's just a whole different ballgame and a whole different energy. Mm-hmm. And our tour guys, yeah. yeah. They could talk from a personal experience, yeah. too. Yeah, right. And they're super fun. And they're just like, they, they know it all. They're like yeah. walking encyclopedias. Like, I'll be writing grants and need some facts. And I'm like, I could research it. Or I could text Charles. <laughs> Shout out to Charles. And like they just know, like they love the history. They are part of the department. It's just that's what makes our tours really special. So if you come in for a tour, you get fire safety education paired with the history of the city and firefighting in the city, of course. That's great. Now tell us about your history and how you got to Cincinnati. Oh, by way of Seattle and New York. <laughs> But I'm actually from Newport, right across the river. I moved away. I lived in. I went to college, and I lived in Seattle for a while. And 
I lived in New York and I went to Brooklyn College there. And I actually worked at the Fire Museum as a, just like an admin person. Um, so I knew nothing about Was it just for history. money, just because you needed yeah. money? Okay. I needed a job that worked okay. with my schedule with school. And they, they it was on Craigslist. Do people still find jobs on Craigslist? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I came in for the interview. I knew nothing about fire history. I knew nothing about FDNY besides 9-11. I think they mm. became famous on 9-11 um, for good reason. Yeah. And the person who interviewed me was like, oh, my gosh, my RA in college went to Moorhead. I didn't think anyone went to wow. Moorhead. You're hired. It's always the, the, Cincinnati is the, universe, like the whole of the universe. <laughs> right. Everything's mm-hmm. from here. Yeah. yeah. So and then I started working there. And uh, at the Fire Museum in New York, our volunteers were also firefighters, but retired guys. And they would lead the tours. And I fell in love with them. Their stories were so funny. Their accents were, like, amazing. Oh, yeah. They, like, treated the me accent. like I was their granddaughter. <laughs> yes, in the Bronx. The Bronx sounds pretty good. Um, and I just was, like, all of a sudden in, like, in this culture I would never would have found myself in. And just, like, absolutely loving it. I moved out to, I left that job and moved out to California and I worked for a fire department, Humboldt Bay Fire. And so this was my first time really working for a active fire department. I mean, obviously FDNY is active, but we were in the museum. And how, wait, so, sorry, how long were you in New York too? Uh, at that time I was there for about four years. Okay, so yeah. you, you ended up staying then for a little while after your Craigslist commitment. Yes, yes. Okay. So I worked there for about four years. <laughs> trying to paint a picture of the timeline. Right. Sorry, I never think of my story as being interesting, but now, like, looking back, like, yeah. it's been pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, okay, so four years in New York. Four years there, and before I left there, the um, director, who was this amazing woman who got pulled in as... She was a volunteer because she's a retired diplomat, foreign diplomat, mm. super insanely smart and cultured and down to earth. And I just like, she's still a mentor of mine. Um, she was like, I'm going to retire and I want you to become the director. I was like maybe 23 at the time. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot do this. And I kind of, she was, and I didn't realize it, but this whole time she'd kind of been grooming me to like, no, this can mentor. be, right, this can be all for you. And in retrospect, I remember thinking, why is she sending me to these seminars? Why do I have to go to this meeting and talk? Because she's already Done before. <laughs> right. And then I was like, and then it all led up to this point of, I want you to be the director. And I was like, oh, I see where this was all headed. Yes. Um, and so I, I played director for like a year. And I, I used the term interim director because I, I wanted everyone to know in case I was making mistakes. I'm here short time. And I, I was like that when I got here. And, yeah. you know, it was a kind of an excuse to hide behind, I guess, really. But then I moved out to California and I worked for a department called Humboldt Bay Fire. And I worked at the headquarters, and I had a uh, position out there. It's called fire services officer. So really what that is, like a fancy name for someone who does, like, the car seats and does uh, project management on, like, hydrant inspections and rights grants for equipment. Like, even Cincinnati rights grants for some of their equipment. Like so a, the business side of the The business the side. A very little, um, yeah. I taught CPR to the community. Oh, wow. So then do the... The departments, fire departments in your local area reach out and work with you then directly? If how did um, so I was at headquarters. So like say say a family needed a car seat installed, like a new mom, yeah. which that was always really funny because they would like come in like, I need my car seat installed. And they thought like some big, handsome, like tall, dark <laughs> dude was going to come. And I'd be like, oh, that's me. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Sorry you're not getting the experience you'd hoped for. But, um, yeah, so um, I did that. I wrote grants for their equipment, and that was really fun too. And again, just like being in the culture. And this was the first time I was like, oh, so that's how a ladder truck really works. 
works. Like I could regurgitate how it worked from the museum, like the information about it, but now I saw it in action. I saw, oh, that's what a Halligan tool does. Oh, that's what it's like when the bells go off and you slide the pole and you jump on the, tr-. all of a sudden I was like in the, you know, real fire department activities. And I loved it and I loved our chief and I loved the role I played there. And then I got a call from the Fire Museum in New York, <laughs> and they said, Sarah, would you come back? And I was like, at that time, I had my daughter, Riley, um, who's 13 now, and I was like, we have this wonderful community out here in California. We're really enjoying everything. It would really, I mean, it would have to be the perfect offer, and they gave me the perfect offer, and I was, oh. so I was so excited to go back to New York, because you know how everything is, in retrospect, hindsight, you know, all that, yes. Yeah. So after I left New York, I longed for it. I mean, I longed for it. I was in this beautiful coastal town in California, and I was like, this is sleepy. Every, things are moving too slowly. Like, nobody's neurotic enough. Like, Why am I sitting me. in traffic and going nowhere? <laughs> so um, that was seriously, like, such a, I was so happy. I couldn't even believe my luck. Like, who gets that opportunity yeah. to want to go back? And we all know it's not affordable to keep moving from coast to coast to coast. Especially it's like, if you're going to big cities, too. Too, so it's not like that's cheap either. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I accepted and I was terrified to tell the chief because we had just like a couple weeks prior, mm-hmm. he'd came to me and said, uh, Sarah, I really want you here for the long haul. We had just merged two departments. So uh, county department that was smaller with the city of Eureka merged and made Humboldt Bay Fire. And I was got to be a part of that whole process. And he was like, I want you here for the long haul. And I was like, you have me. I am here. I'm dedicated. <laughs> I'm committed. Like going nowhere. It, um, except for the perfect haul. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> and yeah. And so like when you work in, in city government, there's step scales, there's pay scales. And there's that's how, you know, it's not like you negotiate at a you know private place. So he was like, I'm going to move you to the top step. And I have, I already got permission from council, from the mayor. So it's not like he was just like, I'm going to give you a raise. He was ahead of it. He was, yeah, yeah, he was. And um, I I was so thrilled with the raise. I was so thrilled with the responsibility that he believed in me. So going into his, I was seriously terrified. (laughs) Plus he was just like, his just demeanor was scary. But that's one of the reasons I admired him. He just was like, he said what he meant, meant what he said. And I was like, I have something to tell you. And his face fell. He said, what? (laughs) And he gave me the best advice. He was like, you know, I I don't blame you. This is perfect for you. And I'm proud of you. And I'm glad you're going to do this. But um, how are you going to get there? And I was like, I guess I'll just rent a U-Haul. And I'm like, (laughs) he was like, no, you're not. He's like, do you know how to put chains on your tires? I was like, what's that? (laughs) He was like, do not think it's going to be snowy when you're driving through the West. And I'm like, is it? He's like, you think you're going to take you and your young daughter? And he was like, go back to them and say, if they want it, I don't, this is weird, I guess, saying in public, but he said, go back to it, go back to them. And if they want you, ask them to pay for your move, get movers, yeah. have them follow you. That there. is great career advice right? in general, yeah. right? And I was like, but I knew it was a nonprofit and I knew the budget's tight. And so like, personally, it like hurt my feelings for them to even ask them for the money. Yeah. But I went back and asked and they said, absolutely. Tell us, send us the moving bill. That's actually a really good point right there. Don't be afraid to ask and speak up if if something just doesn't feel right. Especially in a job, like when you first get your initial offer, you'll never get a chance to negotiate again. Like you're locked into whatever you, you know what I mean? You might get raises and increments, but when you're talking about your real salary, like at the beginning, and it's such a hard conversation to have. And we're all, you know, it's... 
it's difficult. But yeah. the Fire Museum in New York made it very easy. So I moved back, had the time of my life. Literally, I thought I was at the pinnacle of my career. Like, yeah. we revamped that firehouse. We redid our fire fire safety house here. We call it our safe house. Where was that museum located? In? It's uh, well, it's in Soho. Although, and they were redefining the districts at the time, and so now it's called. Well, it was uh, it was called then the same thing, but I, I have such a hard time pronouncing Soho. Hudson oh, Square is okay. the new name for it. But we always, it, it was an old firehouse in Soho. Uh, so many similarities. Beautiful yeah. firehouse. If I showed you a picture of it, you'd be like, which one's which? Yeah, the architecture, <laughs> the structure. Yeah. Like, That's cool. The spiral staircase. And- well, yeah, well, we didn't have a spiral staircase there, but I know I told you about the yeah. stories the volunteers would talk about the horses couldn't, couldn't get up the stairs if they were spirals. So that's why firehouses have spiral staircases. But so many, it's so fine. Not only the building, but like even the personalities, like it's the yeah. same. It's the fire culture. I think that we can dive into a little bit more too as we go just the fire culture I think in general yeah. there's I mean it's a tough job it's not an easy job so it it's a common theme throughout so you were in New York for then how long with this new so position? um about three years yeah okay and which isn't so combined I was there for seven four yeah. and then and then three more it got really challenging with Riley she went yeah. to school in the Lower East Side in the museum. I don't know if you if you think of Manhattan as an oval, there's the Lower East Side is on the bottom right. And then the museum was directly across town, mm. the skinny part of the oval. And the, so buses run across town. It was and literally it, maneuvering the city became was, an issue. Yes. Yeah. So traversing the city, like we got Riley to school and I have to get a bu- on a bus and get to work and... All that's doable, and people in New York are just so tough. Like, that doesn't, they don't blink an eye. For me, like, if she's going to have a half day, you aren't going. I'm not taking you all the way there, coming back to work, coming to get you, going back. Like, I would just be like, we're missing that day. (laughs) But other New York families, that's just life. You know, they would, you know, drop them off for somehow a few hours and come back. But that that started to wear on me, and I could see it wearing on Riley. And Mm -hmm. I wanted Riley to experience life in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like, even though all I wanted as a young person was to get out of Cincinnati Mm -hmm. and to get out of Newport, I, like... (laughs) Look where we are. And so, what's so funny is that, like, Riley's from Brooklyn. She was born in Brooklyn the, my first time there. And um, I'm always like, how cool you can say you're from Brooklyn. But as a kid, she'd come home to visit relative, home for me here. Yeah. And she'd be like, I wish I was from Cincinnati. Oh, she would say that. <laughs> Interesting. I'm like, how hilarious that I'm letting you live out my dream. Yeah. And all you want is to be back here. <laughs> anyway, we ended up, I just made a decision. I was like, I just, I want to, I, I need change. Like, I need yeah. out of the city. I need, I want to show Riley a simpler life. And But you also have a very niche background, too. So it's. Very, yes. Yeah, you're, you're where, how many different cities are going to be bopping from fire museum to fire museum? <laughs> did you right. Guys right? So That's how right. did you stumble? Yeah. Well, okay. So the short story is my first job back, I had a hard time finding a job. And I mm. naively was like, I have this wonderful resume. I've been doing ceremonies for the FDNY 9-11 at our museum. Like all these like things that were like very high profile. I don't know if I was good at it. I tried my hardest, but mm. I at least had this like really good resume. And so I didn't think I'd have a hard time finding a job. I've worked for a music resource center and I loved that place. I'm not sure if that's an organization you're, you know about. It's in Walnut Hills, and they serve uh, teenagers, and they teach music lessons for free, and they have concerts. You have to check them out. They're the staff. Music resource? Yeah, MRC. They're right next to Urbanstead. Urbanstead Cheese was building. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Okay. From the outside, you would never know what's in that building. Yeah. And then you walk inside, and you're blown away. All these studio rooms, all these wonderful oh, really cool. people teaching and 
and it's free. It's $2 a month just to hold the kids accountable to get a permission slip signed and, you know, have to bring in the $2 a month, but they serve dinner. They like, they're amazing. So I worked for them for a while and I thought maybe this, maybe this will be it. Maybe this was my, you know, but, um, it turned out it just wasn't the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. And something inside me and everyone around me kept saying, get a corporate job. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you working so hard and making nothing? So I was like, whatever. And I was living downtown and in Garfield Towers. And I literally looked around one day. I was like, all these tall buildings, they got to be hiring for something. So I got online one night and there's a company called First Transit, which is a transit mm-hmm. company. And they're hiring for a proposal writer. And I was like, I write. I mean, I write newsletters and emails and like, I can do this. Okay. So then this, how long then did you stay at transit? Okay. Yes. Back to that. I was there for, I guess, like two years, almost two years. And then you came here right after that? Yes. So I was riding in a taxi or an Uber or something in Chicago working on a proposal and I started getting like texts and emails and people were like, did you see what's just been posted? And I'm like, what? (laughs) And my friend Belinda, my friend Belinda, shout out to Belinda. She was like, the fire museum's hiring a director. And I was like, no, stop. (laughs) And she was like, I swear. And she sent me the link. And I, all of a sudden I just got that energy again. Like I want to do it. I like, I'm not made for this corporate world. Like I'm smart enough to be able to do job. You know what I mean? I can do it. Yeah. But like that didn't get my go. I didn't wake up every morning like excited I'm about what you're doing. That's yeah. such a valid point, right? Mm-hmm. So I, um, as soon as I got home, I looked into it and I thought, this is again. I don't know what TMI is, but I thought there's no way this museum in Cincinnati will be able to afford a director. Yeah. But um, I so I wrote to the board director and I said I wasn't even applying for the job. I just said, hey, I'm in town. I used to run the museum in New York. I'm interested. I don't know if it'll be a right fit for me or for you guys, but. But since it's such a small staff, they do ha- did have a competitive salary, and I took the. I know. I mean, you guess you could call it an interview, but I met with the board members and we just chatted, and automatically I started having all these ideas of what I wanted to do. You're like already setting up your desk. <laughs> <laughs> like see you tomorrow. Like, what? Um, and they they hired me, and it's been wonderful. I always thought that running the FDNY museum would be the pinnacle of work because it was just so much. Mm. The people I met, the stuff we did. We had movies come in running the space. We'd ha- we were on Jeopardy. We had, like just yeah. fun stuff. And now it's like a whole different vibe. Like it's I have more creative autonomy. There's less mm. politics involved. There's it's just I. It's a good point. It's it's interesting too because you you cut. You come from, like, you've bopped around a lot with your career, but now you're running and operating this museum and this firehouse kind of solo a little bit. And we talk with a lot of different entrepreneurs and startups. And even though you're not like, hey, I'm going to build something from the ground up, you still have to very much have that entrepreneurial mindset because you're you're a little bit flying solo here. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have the people who are helping are awesome and wonderful. And I love to, and I don't just think of us as a team. We are a team. Yeah. But But, you're still directing all of that though. You're, you're, yeah, you're really spearheading, spearheading that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I love about. I love the creative autonomy. And I went to, when I um, was hired for the job, 
the then board president said, you should have coffee with another board member. And I met him for coffee actually at the uh, Parisian, the, I can't think of what it's called, but it's a little coffee shop by the barber shop. He was like, no one's really done much there for years. Like it can be the Sarah show, the Sarah museum. And that got my go. (laughs) What was it? What was this museum like when you first got here and to what it is today? Well, year of being here. I've been here for a year and a half. It'll be two, well, it'll be two years in the end of August. Okay. But, um, so COVID took up a whole year of it. Yeah, that's a good one. We just didn't have a lot of things in place. Like everything needed to be reworked from like our self-guided tour book, Mm. which was like copied from a type, like it was literally written on typewriter and like copied and copied and copied. (laughs) So it's like those things I needed to get, you know, update. We have so many updates because there was a lot of volunteer directors in the past. They, at some points they did have paid directors, but it's fundraising is so hard Mm. and people think like there's so much money in the city. Like there's all (laughs) these corporations in Cincinnati. Well, imagine going to one and saying we steward fire history. Isn't that cool? And unless you get step foot in here or unless you know someone in the department it's really right now when I get people here automatically they're like what is this gym how did I not know it existed um I've driven past this for years and then you step inside and you realize it's a really special place and then you get a tour from one of our firefighters and you leave just enamored here take my money (laughs) (laughs) there you go (laughs) if it's a good day yes yeah here's my credit card (laughs) so what what advice could you give someone who might be in a similar boat who's looking to fundraise. Well, we had a really successful virtual fundraiser and I was so nervous because here I was about to put on my first big fundraiser for the museum. The board's like, what can you do? I'm sure, you know, they weren't. So you did this during COVID? Uh, During COVID. So, well, the first thing I did, I was telling you before I think we started recording that uh, I got really nervous during COVID. I'm like, we're this small, tiny nonprofit. It's already such a struggle to fundraise. How are we going to survive? How are we going to stay open? So it pushed me to think creatively of things I wouldn't Mm -hmm. normally do. And I started an online series. And like when I think of me having coffee with that board member and him saying it's the Sarah show, let me tell you about what we've done on the online series. We had a penguin come in from the zoo and waddle around. We had JMR from Cincy Pops come in and do a conducting lesson and read a fire themed storybook. We had an FC player, Nick Haglin. He came in and read us a storybook for us. And people were tuning into this where? On Facebook. On Facebook. On Facebook. And were you yeah. getting good traction? We were. So the first couple of ones were like, they were a little bit slow. Yeah. Then we had JMR and it like blew up. People were like, what are they doing? Where are they doing at the fire museum? He is so awesome. It's all about raising awareness. All about raising awareness, leveraging these new audiences that we normally Mm -hmm. wouldn't get. And now if you look at the, there's all the videos are still up except for JMRs because his needed to come down for copyright reasons and stuff. Um, We've had thousands of views on our videos and saying how at the beginning when I was saying I had to re kind of create some things like the tour guides and our, our membership program, stuff like that. We didn't have an Instagram account. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, so we don't, and that's probably one of the reasons. It's our, such a visual space here too. I, yeah. I know. So I've had, um, it's, it's weird to say this because it's the, the country was in turmoil for that whole year for more reasons than COVID. Yeah. But we were having a really good time at the Fire Museum. We were um, successful with the payroll protection program. So that that's saved great. us two rounds of it. I mean, that truly saved us. People just really rallied behind us. Any letter campaign I did was really successful. And then we did a virtual fundraiser and that was so much fun. So it was successful. It was successful. So how do you get that like, you know, personal 
connection that you need to have in order to fundraise virtually? Yeah, well, okay. So I feel like the online series kind of like let people, we started building up an audience. People were looking like, what are they going to do? So you were doing a series first to kind yes. of butter them up. So I, I didn't know at the time, but that's what was happening. Like I didn't, I was, I think everyone at the beginning was like, this will be over in a week. This will be over in two weeks. Okay, fine. It's gone on a month. Just kidding. Right. Like, One year later. Right. Exactly. So I didn't know that we were kind of um, priming ourselves for the virtual fundraiser, but um, we did. And I should also mention that we did a, a lot of fun stuff, but part of the fun stuff we did was I had firefighters come in and do their fire safety presentations from our safe house exhibit. Mm-hmm. So we were still serving our mission in that way. And I definitely saw teachers like commenting, like you should to other teachers, t-, you know? So it was like, we were getting out there, we we're getting the word out there virtually. And then we also had firefighters come in and do hit. We did uh, a presentation on horses were firefighters and Charles did such an awesome job. And uh, Brian came in and did ask a firefighter and he brought all his gear and that one was really fun. So we did, we, you know, we had fire safety presentations, history presentations sprinkled in with these other segments where we had yeah. different organizations. So you were just really active online. Yes. Very active to, online. Prior to the actual virtual fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got sponsors for the, I mean, we, I was fortunate that now I could write this letter saying, this is how we've served our mission outside the brick and mortar of our building. And during this trying time, we've, you know, had all these presentations, they have thousands of views. Will you please help us? We, you know, we don't want to close our doors. And I don't really like writing letters that are, you never want to be in crisis mode. So I made sure the letter was like partially celebratory, like, look how we're surviving and all these like cool things we're doing to serve our mission. And please help us continue because this is a dire time for nonprofits. So commu- it's so community-based. Now, when it comes to museums, is the, is the main um, flow of income fundraising? So we, our income sources are a gift shop, visitors, you know, obviously admissions, gift shop, tours, and renting out our event space. So all of that was down during COVID. I mean, we had to close for a couple of months. It was government mandated. So we, we weren't open at all. But even when we could reopen, we couldn't do tours. We couldn't do birthday parties. We couldn't rent the event space and we couldn't have in-person events to fundraise. Mm -hmm. So we, I mean, we really, we survived off of our letter campaigns and our, our fundraising efforts. And the other ways that we get money at the museum is by writing grants, which we actually just, I just wrote a grant for $15,000 that was approved yesterday. Congratulations. Wow. Thank yeah. you. Congrats. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, it's like we're getting to where we need to be. We have, we're actually, we're doing so good right now from coming out of the pandemic. And, um, but it's been a lot of hard work. I haven't taken any time off. And I have come to regret that because I was listening to a podcast recently. And one of the questions was, what do you have any regrets from how you spent your time during COVID? And it was actually the Dave Chang podcast. I'm not sure if you know who he is. He's like a celebrity chef. He was like, yeah, I do. I work too hard. My, some of my friends took time off. They were like, relaxed. They were having yeah. fun. They got in shape. And he was like, not me. I work double hard. And I was like, why did I do that? <laughs> like, do I, you, I, But do you think that you would be in the position that you are if you didn't work double hard? That's a great, that's a great comeback because yeah. probably not. not. Because and, you are and, a nonprofit too. And you're yeah. really flying this yeah. plane kind of solo. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. There really wasn't, there really wasn't an opportunity to take it easy. 
if we were going to survive the way we did and thrive. Like we not only survived, like we have more people know about the museum now. As soon as we made a post saying we could do birthday parties again, we had two people call in 10 minutes to book a party. Oh, wow. And we weren't even doing things on social media before. (laughs) Did they they hear about you through all the social content? um, Yeah, those two specifically saw the post on Facebook. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And it's all about, and it says something I've, I've talked to the board in depth about, you know, you can't just expect for a small nonprofit who hasn't done much or been known for a big event or known for a big fundraiser to right off the bat, you know, raise $500,000. Like you have to be visible in the community. People need to know who you are. You yeah. need to not be an island alone. And that's yeah, why partnering with brand all these aware, quote unquote brand awareness, no matter what it is, nonprofit or not, because you're still a business has to your stop number one. That's right. That's exactly right. So speaking of brand awareness, how, you know, besides obviously on the digital side, how do you plan on, I guess, continuing that momentum moving forward as we move, (laughs) as we move forward into, you know, in-person events and in-person, I guess, life. In-person life. Oh, I'm so excited about in-person life. Well, we just wrapped up a music series. Again, like this really filled my soul. So that, uh, I mean, we haven't been able to go to live performances. So I just thought it'd be a win-win. Ask some bands to come in and play and they'll uh, get some exposure they wouldn't normally get from Fire Families and all of our followers. And they'd get a chance to play. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like there's- It's a cool space too. It's a cool space. And some really awesome photographs came from it. But we had the symphony came and played. They were part of our online series or our music series. And all this is only possible because, again, and I, it's so funny because talking about it out loud now, I'm realizing how this was a snowballed effect. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we had Mike Obrist from the Tillers play. We had the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, and we had Sons of Silverton, which is like... So will that continue then moving into the future? Well, our online series will continue as I as we get people to uh, participate. I don't think we'll ever give that up now because we're having such a fun time doing it. And it's just such a wonderful way to be visible to new audiences and to partner with folks. And who's tuning into that, too? Are, you know, I... I imagine a lot of the fire fight, like a lot of the paramedics and firefighting folks probably aren't as in tune on the digital side from what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Is it mostly the, like you said, is it the families or is it just a completely separate audience that they're just in tune with it because they like history, they like museums and have no connection to the fire world? <laughs> well, I think over the summer when folks yeah. were home and kids were home, we had a lot of families tuning in. And we always did at the end, we do a question, like I would we'd be reading the questions and it was like kids asking and it was like so cute. Aww. But when for like the music series, I think yeah. a lot of it was like their fans. And that, that makes sense because I spoke with a firefighter <laughs> and he's like, I ain't tuning into that. Like, no one's going to, like, he's like, I know my friends and my buddies, like, we don't get on Facebook. So it's just like, it's a cultural thing. But I'm like, they're not going to, you guys aren't going to keep doing it if people aren't tuning in at all. So people are tuning in, but who are those people? Yeah. And that's the whole, the whole point of it. It's to not only show that we're not an island alone and we're partnering with all these wonderful things, showcasing the awesome music scene in Cincinnati, Mm. but reaching new audiences. Yeah, that's huge. New audiences. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. 
Um, and as I know, we've talked about before, we partnered with Northern Row and they created yeah. a beer for us called The Hoser. Best thing you could have done. <laughs> Such a cool brewery. And that speaks to firefighters, right? Yes. So like I'm trying to be strategic yeah. about these partnerships. So a beer speaks to the fire department, the right? The bigger picture, yeah. Yes. And uh, the music series speaks, well, it speaks to me. Yeah. Um, and it speaks to, you know, fans of music. Mm-hmm. And I got to, you know, these people tuning in to see Mike Obers probably had no idea there's a fire museum. But now they're like, oh, cool. And I and you see all these new yeah. likes coming and it's from the, you know, folks who are tuning in. But So I guess from a branding perspective, are you hoping that you are, I guess, reaching those people that do come from that like firefighting background, had family members, friends in that background, or do you, you know, you're hoping for more new people or just a mix of both? Yeah, I want all of it. (laughs) Well, I want to engage the fire department members. I want to Mm -hmm. remind them we're this museum that's here for you. We're celebrating your legacy and Mm -hmm. your department and Mm -hmm. trying to get them involved and engaged. and we we're, we're doing a great job at it. I mean, we have yeah, engine companies stopping by to, to say hi now. And um, so I'm definitely cultivating that relationship. And the chief who just retired was just such a great advocate. And he really understood the history and how important the museum was. So the chief of department is um, an ex officio board member. So in the next incoming chiefs, another wonderful person, uh, Michael Washington, who really appreciates the history and what we're doing here. And yeah. So keeping that relationship with the fire department is so important for us and with the union, um, but also finding new audiences, letting folks know we're not just a museum you come to once and I've seen it. Engage. Yeah, yeah. Now, when it comes, I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit, and I want to go back to the ground level of the museum itself. And you, because you have so, you have a pretty extensive background in working within a museum, what How does one curate a good museum? How does one curate a good museum? Well, I can tell you we're working on curating exhibit right now in partnership with CAFA, which is the African-American Association of Firefighters uh, in Cincinnati. And we're uh, going to be part oral history, um, part tangible artifacts, which we don't have that many of yet for it. But there's a whole, a whole degree you can get. What makes a good? What makes a good museum? museum. Right now, it's more hands-on stuff or interactive technology. So this is very. This it's an experience, right? If you go to an event, if you go Mm. to a concert, or whatever, you're coming to a museum. You're expecting to learn. You're expecting to see things. But I, I imagine there's strategy behind how you curate. The content that's there, the artifacts that are there, the flow of the floor. Yeah. yeah. You know, what are what are some things that you've picked up along the way? Yeah, so definitely there is a there has to be a component of storytelling, like a really compelling story. Mm. But these days it has to be a succinct story because mm-hmm. people have shorter attention spans and things are more instant. Uh. So what we're in the process of doing is updating our signage and we're going to pare down some of our storytelling, but we're adding QR codes so you can scan your phone. You can get the, if you want the layered of information and we're going to have firefighters telling about equipment and tools or a retired guy talking about um, an important fire that he fought. Like, so we're going to incorporate all these kind of like interactives to kind of bring the exhibits to life. Hold on, because you mentioned QR codes. Now, are you also working, have you worked with other museums to kind of talk through some of these ideas as to whether the QR codes work or not? Um, Yeah, I have. And actually, I got really great advice from the CEO of the Cincinnati Museum Center when I first arrived. I invited her in and we toured the museum and she was saying, there's so many little tiny things you could do that would be cheap 
and affordable to just bring life to some exhibits, mm. such as programming that forces people to read the exhibits, but that are designated for kids. So like at Thanksgiving, we have Spot That Turkey, and I put these oh, little fun. turkey cutouts <laughs> all around. It gives me a reason to write to Cincinnati Family Magazine and say we have this going on, so come yeah. back in November. It gives me, uh, it gives parents a reason to read exhibits. It gives kids a reason to really go to each exhibit and look at it. Yeah. Um, and then they win a prize in the gift shop if they find them all. We do scavenger hunts. We do all this sort of programming that forces people. Because if you're not, you know, people can walk in and walk out pretty quickly if they're not going to read the exhibits and take the time to really yeah, yeah. to keep have. their attention dialed in. That's, it, that's the hardest part. Yeah. That's right. So these activities have really um, helped with that. And folks that's like, yeah, yeah. So you're really hands-on. I mean, you basically also listed just before this all the things that you are touching throughout your day is, you know, what does your day-to-day -day look like? How do you personally stay efficient? Well, I'm so fortunate that the board gives me the autonomy to be creative. So I get to dream up these ideas about the online series and the music series and our fundraiser, and that gets my go. So when I get in to work, I'm like, let me get all this boring stuff out of the way, yeah. you know, paying bills and, you know, communications. And, you know, I'm saying boring, but it's, you know, how you have to yeah, do it so I can get adulting. to the fun stuff. Yes. <laughs> so I can start planning this fundraiser so I can reach out to, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think just always knowing, always having that carrot dangling that, like, get to the fun stuff. Like, what's going to happen next? Mm -hmm. Like, is just, it just gets my go. I don't know how to say it. It fills me up. It feeds my soul. So I, I know I have to be responsible and get all the dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But then I get to do the the fun programming and yeah, do podcasts. Do. You have such a pa well, I think the passion yes. is the number one thing that you have to have a passion for it. Definitely, and you can tell that. And quite a few times you've mentioned your board. A lot of entrepreneurs also have boards themselves. So can you give them some advice on how mm. do you work with a board? How you know, what As makes a, a good, yeah, a good board, board and yeah. all well, that fun stuff. Yeah, I'm, this is probably common knowledge, but a board member should either give, get, or have some sort of experience that they can, some expertise that they can lend. Mm -hmm. And especially for a small nonprofit, that last thing is really important because I'm only one person doing all these things that I just mentioned. So if I need IT help, like someone needs to help me out here. And so a board member is like, I'll send my IT guy. Like that is worth its weight in gold because we can't afford a real IT team here. But also board members need direction. So yes, they're going to meet every month. And sometimes that can look like talking in circles and just giving updates about the museum. But a good director, and I'm not saying I am or I'm not, but will give their board members tasks and action items and give them direction and, and tell them what you need so that they're, and you put it in the minutes, <laughs> so yeah. that they're held accountable and that they will, you know, do what they say they're going to do. And like, there's a reminder there. And I'm really fortunate. There's a great board here at the museum and uh, Tom Hardy has been the board president since I arrived. And he's just been the perfect support. Like he doesn't, he's, um, not breathing down my neck, but he's always there to help. And I, and I know my weaknesses, just like I know my strengths. And one of my weaknesses is the, the kind of the financial side, the nuances of the profit and loss statement and filing taxes and all that other, the business side of it. And he helps with all that and still lets me, you know, be creative. And that's a good place. Just like your board ends up being the rest of your coworkers, even though you're kind of, again, flying solo on this, you're really not. Right. Because it's a team. Uh, yeah. It's a team. Yeah. What has been the biggest challenge for you running a museum? 
The biggest challenge, it's definitely the fundraising. It's the fundraising. It's, it's always kind of, I hate to say that because yeah. everything always comes down to money no matter what topic, but fundraising's hard and we have a very special thing we're fundraising for. It's, you know, if you give to the Red Cross, I don't know, there's just other organizations that when you give to, you see your money in action. Mm -hmm. And when you give to the Fire Museum, we're paying to keep these history artifacts preserved. You don't see that. You don't know what it takes to make sure the lighting's correct, to make sure the temperature's right, to make mm -hmm. sure there's yeah. staff in here looking after it. And uh, fire safety is, is, a, is more of a compelling narrative in a grant, yeah. and it's a, such a critical need. Mm -hmm. But if you don't really know the nuances of what a fire department does, then you might think, well, why do I need to give to the fire museum if the fire department does fire prevention and fire safety? And we'd aware same mission, two completely different ways we serve it. Because I'm also just thinking and speaking on all museums when I ask that question. Right, right, and right. I, and I kind of figured that you were going to say fundraising. On the flip side of that question, what has been, I guess, the most rewarding, most fun part mm. of your job? setting goals and reaching them it's like christmas every single time yeah. <laughs> like when we get a donation to the fire museum and it's probably coming off you like you said the passion like i love my job when i say I, i'm not just oh i love my job i wake up and i'm like it's time to the fire museum like woo! Yeah. <laughs> like i love my job <laughs> yeah so what were we talking about before i started talking about my love affair with the fire museum <laughs> what is the most rewarding yeah. part yeah the, the goals yeah definitely the goal. and the people like oh my gosh mm -hmm. alice down stairs I don't think she'd be upset if I call her an introvert and we like now that we've worked together for a year and a half like I, I if I go downstairs good luck coming back up we will chit chat we will talk yeah. she came to my wedding like she's family oh that's awesome um, yeah. and she meet a lot of cool people in the community too yes the people in the community the firefighters mm. the the leadership in the fire department and the union like everyone has just been so wonderful and like rallied behind the museum like I, I love that part so speaking of people I imagine folks who are coming in to visit Cincinnati, because we, we are getting more of that tourism culture here. Yeah. How are you getting on the map as a museum, as a small museum, to get people who are not from Cincinnati into this building? Well, we need to do a better job at that, for sure. But we are a part of like the, the tourism board. The exact name is escaping me. So they do some of that for us. Yeah. But we need to do a better job and I don't really necessarily know the answer to that because the way to disseminate information, as you know, these days is social media. Yeah. So, I mean, I sponsor stuff on Instagram and on Facebook and that sort of thing. But it's almost like brochures to me in my eyes are almost like a dying thing. So what do you think our city as a whole then could potentially do better to help promote museums and some of the tourist attractions or staples? I would love, this is a dream of mine I had during COVID, but um, didn't get to realize this one, is a network between the museums in Cincinnati, like a passport. Mm. Like, that would be so much fun. Like, obviously, the a Cincinnati... A lot of cities have that, of like some a kind, that Cincinnati does not. Yeah, that I'm aware of, or that I, yeah. you know, so I don't know if uh, someone listening that. might think, yeah, but we already have that. But, I mean, if the museum center gets behind us and we get behind them, like, obviously, we're small, you know, guys compared to them. But um, I think that just the network of cultural mm. institutions would be such a cool thing. Yeah, a commercial, yeah, a commercial. A, would be really cool. So, kind of uh, in a broader scope than just tourism, what do you think the city itself and our residents can do to support the fire museum further? 
Like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, check out all this fun stuff we're doing online. We have our, we're going to have a big fundraiser in November and I'm so excited about it. I wanted to do it last year, but couldn't for obvious reasons. And we're going to have a firefighter <laughs> cook off. So it's going to be up yes. here on the second floor of the, of the building, which right now is admin offices and rental space. And so firefighters will prepare meals and they'll, they're not going to cook it here really. Even though it's called a cook-off, they'll bring it in and we'll keep the food hot with sternos and aluminum trays. But everyone in attendance gets to taste all the food and vote on it. So we'll have a People's Choice Award. We'll Love have it. some fun judges. We'll have an auction. Um, so it's going to be a really good time. Come hang out with firefighters, eat firehouse food, drink a beer. Like it's going to be great. How can the city and its residents support firefighters on a day to day? Because yeah. you've worked, you know, with um, your entire career, right. pretty much. So how can we support yeah. them? That is a good question. And I mean, you're always, you're welcome. I will once I'm not sure what the protocol is right now. I, everything's different, right? But uh, there was a time that you could pop into a firehouse and say hi and, and meet your, your local firefighters and the kids will get a little plastic fire helmet and maybe get to climb on the rig. Like they're very, you know, open so, door. So I think it goes back to, I'll, I'll chime in on this one a little bit yeah. too, working through media, engaging in that conversation and utilizing Mm. social media for the better, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions within the, the fire community and the world in that world right now. And I think just engaging in that dialogue and reaching out and and full circle, stopping in. Yeah. You know, get a little time with them. Saying hi. Just pop in. Calling up to big kitty sprayer kids down for a bath, right? (laughs) And they do like, I feel like in general, though, a lot of those departments, they, they are very engaged in their community already. So if you find them on Facebook, they typically have their own Facebook pages. Yeah. Find them on Facebook and you can kind of track where they are and what they're doing. Yeah. And don't, and don't bother them with a car seat. Now, if someone might be looking to follow in your footsteps, whatever museum it might be, it could be about, you know, printing presses or whatnot. What advice could you give someone who might be following a similar path as you? Ask for help. Reach out. Don't be an island alone. Like, you know, look at what I always say. We're this isn't my own saying, obviously, but work smarter, not harder. See how other people are doing it. Take what you like from it. Leave what you don't like from it. Like pick up the phone, call someone, ask for advice like that. I do it all the time. Like I'm I, I need help. I need advice. I need people to, you know, help give me the right information so that I can succeed. I imagine you have to stay very organized too, right? Because it goes back to, okay, checking the boxes and then getting onto the fun stuff. So do you have any advice for someone who might be juggling a lot similar to yourself? <laughs> oh, that's something I struggle with personally. <laughs> um, but I think it, I don't know if I'm necessarily a super organized person, but I always understand my priorities. Mm. Um, I actually have a really cool thing called a monk manual that I was using for a long time. And I kind of fell off it in the past month or so, but it's like, it's this wonderful journal that it's not just a like to-do list. There's a few to-do items, but it's like personal and professional. And I found a lot of value in it. It's like, who do you need to connect with? Who haven't you reached out to? Like monk man. Yeah. It's really cool. And And I feel like you mentioned a lot of things that are applicable to people that Mm -hmm. might not be exactly on the 
museum director path, like, yeah. but even just being a, you know, whether it's a startup founder or, you know, a big tech CEO mm-hmm. or, you know, the Potter Gill CEO down the street. Yeah. I think, you know, that's just some great life advice in general. I love it. And last question for you, at least for me, why is it so important for cities to have museums? Museums are so important. I mean, history, how will we ever learn to be better and change without knowing the past? And fire museums specifically, they tell the story of how a city was born. You cannot have civilization without fire patrol. So as soon as, you know, Cincinnati was formed, there was a need for a bucket brigade. There was a need for a volunteer force. I mean, how cool to think about seeing the city covered in wilderness and folks fighting fires with buckets of water to now we're sitting here in this air-conditioned office hearing, you know, Medic 19 go by. Like, everything has changed so much, and how can you appreciate what we have without understanding Mm. the past? And art is so important. We are so fortunate in Cincinnati to have the Cincinnati Art Museum and the Contemporary Art Museum. Like, their collections are renowned. I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard sometimes when you live here to really appreciate. Whenever you're in it, it's hard. But I've had this opportunity to leave and come back, and I'm in love with Cincinnati all over again. I am in love. The Cincinnati Art Museum is one of my favorite places in the city. Those steps they created, brilliant. Like, everything they do is, like, so Until you run them. (laughs) (laughs) I do that by my own will, but still. (laughs) But we we have an awesome collection of museums here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. What a fun way to spend time with your family and start conversations. And we're an excellent place, and all museums are, for schools to visit and start some really good conversations and talk about culture. and Bridging generational gaps, I think, is huge. That's how I see museums. As. Yeah, it's perfect. It's, yeah, and it's tangible. Yes. Yeah. So if people would like to, you know, be more active and more involved with the Fire Museum, how can they do that? They can write to me personally. (laughs) Send me an email, info at cincyfiremuseum.org. But honestly, because our staff is so tiny, we're always looking for volunteers. Mm. I really want to get together an intern program to work on the collection, to categorize, to catalog our entire collection so we can get it online and people can see what we have and have some context to our um, artifacts. But yeah, honestly, there's there, there, if somebody wants to help and get involved, I will find a way for them. And I guarantee you, once you step foot in here, you'll be like, this is fun. It's so, <laughs> I know. And, and we really didn't do justice of painting a picture, but the space is truly incredible. There's so much to see. There's so much to read. The artifacts are incredible. It, just take the time and get down here. There's a fire pole to yes. slide. There's... <laughs> there is a fireball slide. Check out my Instagram. It's a teaser. <laughs> well, with that, that's Sarah. Seriously, thank you. This is yes, thank this has you. been an absolute been pleasure. Great. This has been fun. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. I am a fan of Sarah. Yes, her personality is contagious. Contagious, the passion that bleeds through. Her personality fits in my mind so perfectly for someone who should be running and operating and managing a museum. Yes, because, because she brings <laughs> she brings these inanimate objects in the story mm-hmm. of this place to life. Yeah, and I I think her background, her background is just unique and incredible. And we had a chance off the, our initial recording to kind of talk about her experience too and, and how she was able to maneuver her time in New York. And 
you know, during the time of 9-11 and how she was working at the fire museum there and curating content and in a very stressful time in our country. And, and all of that experience, you know, has groomed her from New York to California and back working with all these fire departments to do what she's doing now. And in a short period of time and during a pandemic to put this museum on the map. Exactly. And she did that digitally and mm, she which is hard to that's yeah good for her and we've touched point you know she said that she didn't take time off like a lot of her friends did during the pandemic and yeah. we did you even brought up this point I don't think they would be in such of a good position if she did yeah. uh, because you know she is one of just from her story seems like one of the hardest working people for a fire museum and yes. she is the best person for this role yeah, and the, the best person for the role in the sense of she also understands how to separate the business aspect versus appreciating, loving, and just having a passion for the history. Because one can get really caught up and only focus on the curating of the museum, but it is still a business at the end of the day. And even though working in a museum, and especially during a time of pandemic, it's still very unknown. She's really pushing to gain new audiences, which is one of the biggest takeaways that I found in trying a lot of different things. And even though, yeah, a Facebook music series might not necessarily attract everyone, but it obviously is working enough that they're gaining a new group, new audiences for them to keep going. And people are watching and paying attention. People are watching, they're paying attention. And I think that speaks volumes of Sarah, but also to her creativity of, you know, and to her board who gave her basically, you know, you know, the blank check to do what she sees best fit. And clearly that's paid off in fundraising, which she even mentioned is one of the hardest things, especially because, you know, this museum is a nonprofit Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, she's starting to see those checks roll in, which is great because- $22,000. I know. She raised during the pandemic. That's awesome. That is huge. And that was just for that like virtual fundraiser, mm-hmm. not to mention, you know, probably the one-off checks coming in. And Grants, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it truly is a hidden gem here in the city. And I'm glad, you know, people are starting to take note. Take note, become aware as we start to open up, take the time. If you have not had a chance to come down to the Cincinnati Fire Museum, it's you can see the new FC stadium from here, which is really cool. Hoping that that brings more traction. Uh, just come and check it out, support. And we also need to do a little bit more digging on this museum passport. I think we're onto something. Let's do it. And if somebody else knows about it, that we're not a, this museum passport and we're not aware of it, fill us in and reach out to us. Yes. Hosts at whenpigsfly.fm or on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it. Reach out to us. We will definitely respond. Amen. And now it's time to post. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. 
All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.